Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Listen, whenever it comes to Mother's Day, I have mixed emotions about it because um, for some of us, it's an awesome day, right? It's so much fun to celebrate, and we should celebrate moms. Um, They're a big part of everything that we do. We wouldn't be here without moms. Dads, I'll give you a little bit, all right? We wouldn't be here without you either, but let's get real. I mean, it's a very quick process for you, so Um, I'm just saying, all right, okay. Um, Brian's at the other campus, so love you, babe. Anyways, um, (laughs) can get away with a lot because he's not here. Um, But at the same point, I also know for some of you it's a struggle, and so... um, I, I didn't even tell you who I was. I'm Nicole. I'm married to Bryant, the lead pastor here. And um, I also oversee all of our worship and production. And so when it comes to Mother's Day, um, I always have mixed feelings about it. Like, do we make a big deal about it? Do we not? Um, because of the fact that we have so many ladies here who are struggling because of Mother's Day. And so I wrote something, and I just want to read it before we get started, if that's okay with everybody. And it says this. I want to say a few things about Mother's Day here before we get started. It's a day full of mixed emotions. Some new moms are so excited for what's ahead. Some moms are heartbroken over loss. Some moms are scared. Other moms are rejoicing. Some moms are here. Others are not. There's so much to celebrate and yet mourn on Mother's Day. Then some of my beautiful friends want so desperately to be a mom and are fighting every day for that dream. Others are grappling with the reality it may not be in the cards. Some have adopted, others are fostering, some grandmas have opened their hearts and homes again. Wherever you find yourself today on this journey of being a woman, I want you to know we're here for you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. We always have staff members under the tents outside, and we'd love to hug you or pray over you or just listen. Thank you for being here. I want to encourage you just to be sensitive to the women in your life, wherever they may be, that um, we don't get so caught up in the moment of today that we forget to be a good friend. And so maybe some of you need to shoot a text to someone and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. I know this weekend's going to be tough. Um, Or just take someone out for breakfast or brunch or whatever. But I also want to give a shout out to the single dads who are playing both roles. Um, You're not forgotten. You're not unseen. And so I want to give a shout out to them as well before we get started. But speaking of Mother's Day, you may be like, what is going on? All right, I'm five months pregnant. We just found out we're having a third boy. Lord have mercy. Um, But the camera does add 10 pounds, so North, here you go. You're welcome. Um, I'm not sure what you're going to see. A little bit self-conscious about that, but that's all right. We'll roll with it. Um, It's funny because um, what I've found is men are fascinated with pregnancy. Um, I don't know why, like... I hate being pregnant. I I mean, I love that I'm creating life. Don't get me wrong, but it's miserable for me. But men are fascinated. And so I get all sorts of crazy questions. One of my favorites is asking, like, does it get worse as it progresses sort of a thing? (laughs) And um, I'm like, 
Um, all right, honey boo boo, why don't you go to Publix, buy yourself a seven or eight pound watermelon, strap it to your midsection, all right, and then chase three toddlers around in the 90 degree Florida heat, and you tell me if it gets worse as it goes, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, so it does get worse as it goes, yes. Um, I'm already at the miserable stage, so you can pray for Bryant because we've got like four more months to go, but the Lord is faithful, He'll sustain us. Um, but today we're going to talk about some deep stuff, so I want to prepare you. I hope it's not too deep. I tried to, Brian's like, every time you preach, I was like, baby, I know, stop giving me these titles, you know, like stop telling me what to do and we can have a good time. Um, but some of you may remember back in October, I shared my story. It's called Shattered, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you can go back and um, listen to it on podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. Um, but I told my story and I shared about my struggle with mental illness. I have anxiety, depression, and borderline personality disorder. I forgot it for a second. It's there. Um, and so I shared my story and, um, some of you may not know this, but since then we've added a campus, shout out to North, um, a service. All right. So we jumped from one campus to two, three services to four. So I want to kind of give a little bit of an overview of what we talked about back in October in case we've got some new folks with us. And, um, one of the things we talked about was back in Genesis, Genesis um, chapters 1 through 3, you know, God created a perfect world. I know some of you are struggling with whether or not you're going to accept Genesis as reality, and I get that. Genesis is wild, okay? I think even those of us who accept it as truth, which I'm one of those, we can admit, and we need to be honest enough to admit, like, there's some cray-cray things going on in Genesis, okay? Really, the whole Old Testament for that sake, and I think for us to pretend like it's normal makes it worse for people, like... No, snakes talking and huge boats with all the animals and everything else, that's normal. No, that makes it worse, all right? So just accept it's wild. Um, so some of you who are trying to figure out whether or not you believe Genesis is reality, um, and you may be more in the folklore stage, that's all right. Hang with me. Take this as a good moral lesson, okay? Um, the reason why I cling to Genesis as truth is because Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, and he claims it as truth. So I'm going to go with the guy that raised himself back up from the dead. I don't know. I feel like pretty confident in that. Um, so that's just kind of where I stand on it. So anyways, back in Genesis, um, Adam and Eve walking around in the garden. Everything's perfect. There's one tree. Um, if you grew up in any kind of Bible background, you know this one tree they couldn't touch. What, what was it? Whoa. Okay. Knowledge of good and evil. Okay. It's all right. I got you, booze. Okay. Um, north, stay with us. South was a little bit dead. All right. So the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so that was the one tree they weren't allowed to eat from. And so Eve's just going about her normal day. And all of a sudden, a serpent, I don't know where he comes from. People like to say he comes out of the tree. Who knows? Um, but starts talking to her. And she talks back. Like it's no big deal. I don't, does that not, is that not weird for any of you? Like, Scripture doesn't say she's surprised or anything. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I'm like, were animals talking back then? Who even knows? But the snake starts talking to her. She starts talking back like this is normal. And um, the serpent says, did God really say? I think the verses are on behind me. Did God really say? And then he says the rest of that verse. He says, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, what I believe is that Satan inhabited the serpent. So it's really Satan talking to Eve. I'm not sure how all of that works, but again, it is what it is. And so what Satan's trying to do is he's trying to get into Eve's head and get her to question the goodness and the love of God. Because did God say they couldn't eat from any of the trees? No, he only said there was one, right? But Satan's a liar, and he's going to get in your head, 
and he's going to start getting you to question who God is and what he said and start making you think that he's against you, that he's not for you. And so Satan says, did God really say? And if you're a parent or if you work with children at all or teenagers or anything, you know nothing good starts with, did mom really say? You know, did dad really say? Did the teacher really say? It's a loophole. They're looking for loopholes, all right? And then they're going to ride or die on that loophole until the end comes crashing down. And so Satan's getting her to question, did God really say? And then he says later, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's the clincher, and this is where Satan's really quite smart, and we've got to give him credit. Everything he promises comes true, doesn't it? Her eyes are opened. She does know the difference between good and evil. Here's the problem. She has no context for evil. She only has context for good. And so now all of a sudden when evil gets entered into her world, she's not entirely sure what to do with this now. Levi Lesko says this. I love Levi Lesko. Read anything he puts out. Listen to anything he puts out. He's awesome. He says, Eve's eyes were opened, all right, to see things she never should have seen. And so immediately she takes this bite. She now has good and evil rolling around in her mind. And they look down and they see they're naked. Now, I think this is interesting as I was reading over this and studying for this. I started thinking about nakedness has totally lost any kind of, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's with feminism, the over-sexualization of our culture, nakedness is almost heralded. Um, People make it a big deal to, I, I mean, I won't go into all the phrases, but nakedness is really heralded in our culture. And it's almost like people forget that if they were to strip down and stand in the middle of the mall, or if I was to strip one of you down and throw you out in the parking lot, you would feel exposed, okay? (laughs) I think it's funny how people talk all about nakedness and how we shouldn't be ashamed of our bodies, and God did create our bodies, that's excellent, but there's an exposure, there's a shame to nakedness that a lot of times we don't address, and that, it was almost symbolic in the scriptures in Genesis when it talks about they notice their nakedness almost immediately, God's making the point that they were exposed. They were exposed now to good and to evil, and they had to figure out how they were going to grapple with that. And see, here's what I want to tell you. God doesn't create rules. God doesn't create guidelines. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, rumble strips to make your life horrible. God does it to protect you. And we get outside of those things, and then we get knowledge of things we should never have knowledge about, and then we're left to try to figure out what do we do with this. And so... They're naked, they're exposed, they're experiencing this feeling called shame. And that one bite broke the world in four ways. It broke us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And you guys know this well, north and south, you understand. Spiritually, there was that affair. It broke your marriage. It left you exposed, both parties. The one party, that you're a cheat. The other side, that you weren't good enough. You carry around this shame. You have a wayward child. Your parenting's exposed. Everyone wants to judge. You could have done this differently. You could have done that differently. You carry that shame. The addiction, whatever that addiction may be, you don't have enough self-control. You have to self-medicate. You're exposed. You experience the shame. I combined mental and emotional because they're so similar. But those of you who struggle with mental illness like me, you have anxiety and depression, and the world is looking at you like, you have everything. 
Why are you struggling? You have such a good life. Everything's perfect. Why can't you get it together? Why can't you be happy? Or on the other side, because so much is done out of the name of mental illness, people are nervous about you. I carry that day in and day out. People find out about my mental illness and I can see the nerves going off. Your disorders. I have a lot of friends who were raped and that situation has followed them their entire life. And they carry the shame and the stigma over something that was done to them. And a lot of us aren't careful about how we talk about rape and we make it worse. And so they're carrying that with them year after year after year. Physically, um, Bryant's mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We've talked about that quite a bit. When she was first diagnosed, we didn't talk about it a whole lot um, because we wanted to protect her. Alzheimer's carries a stigma with it. And we didn't want people to start talking to her differently or treating her differently. And so we really tried to keep that between the family for many years until we couldn't anymore because of the stigma that comes along with it. But cancer... Certain kinds of diseases, you carry stigmas. People don't understand why you can't just get over it, just take a Tylenol and move on. Um, infertility carries stigmas. When you choose to go the route of in vitro, that carries a huge stigma. Miscarriages, we're broken. And due to this brokenness, we carry exposure, we carry shame, we carry stigmas. And what I want to tell you is, so far in our story in Genesis 3, God hasn't re-entered this picture yet. And that's actually really, really good news for us. Because what that lets us know is this stigma, this shame, that isn't from him. God hates stigma. God hates shame. We can celebrate that. Because I think some of you need to know that today. You're carrying that shame and you're carrying that stigma. And you feel like that's from the Lord and that's not. I'm here to tell you. That's not. Humans create stigma. In fact, God proves this because um, he goes walking in the garden. You remember this. Um, it'll be up on the screen. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? He answered, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? See, Levi, let's go again. He says this, Adam and Eve walked with God face to face, but they hadn't seen God since that bite. And they were scared. They were scared because they felt this shame. They felt this exposure. They felt this stigma. And they thought in their minds, is this from God? Is he ashamed? Does he, is he going to want to accept us? Is he going to be for us after knowing what we've done? And so they hid. And I wonder how many of you today are hiding. You're hiding because of your shame, your exposure. You're hiding because of the stigmas you feel. You think that God is against you. You don't think that he's for you. You're running hard and fast away from him because you can't handle one more rejection or one more lack of acceptance. And you're just not sure if once he knows everything that you've done, if he's going to be okay with you. And some of you, I think this is where it gets a little bit tricky because some of you chose your way into where you are. Can we be honest about that for a second? I'm not being harsh. But some of you chose your way into the situation that you're into. Others of you, it was chosen for you, wasn't it? You had no say. You were plunged into this because of someone else's decision or because for whatever reason the Lord allowed certain things. And I don't understand that, this side of heaven. I'm sorry. Awful things happen, and it's something I have to grapple with daily too. But we're left to wonder, is God really for us? Is he really with us? 
And God answers, he says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And so God's making it very clear in this moment that the shame, that the stigma, that the exposure they feel was not from him. It was from a decision they made to go against the good things he had put in place in their lives. And we're going to come back to this in just a second. I'm going to tell you there's good news in how it ends, and a lot of you know how it ends. But I want to tell you this. God hates stigma, and I'll tell you why. Because he loves people. And stigma and shame ruin people. And he's so opposed to that. We're going to jump to Exodus 2. And I don't know if you um, are familiar with what's going on in Exodus, but God called Abraham to be the father of the nations. And um, I was joking around at the 9 a.m. service with North Campus about how crazy old school church was, right? Can I get an amen? It was wild. We had weird songs, weird hand motions, weird, I mean, it was just, and some of you really missed out on a good time if you didn't grow up that way, (laughs) because that's why a lot of us are messed up today. But anyways, um, (laughs) I got you to respond there. I don't know if North is. All right, North. Um, But Abraham, so God called Abraham to father a nation. And the reason why he did this was because at this point in the Old Testament, people had gotten so far away from who God was, they started worshiping all these made-up gods that were very vindictive. And a lot of them required human and child sacrifices, and it became very, very corrupt. And so what God was trying to do was he wanted to pick one man and one nation to basically say, this is what I want to do with humans. I want to show off my love, my protection for them. And then ultimately he's pointing, the Old Testament points all towards Jesus Christ. I'm going to send a savior to come to die on the cross and take care of sin, law, everything once and for all. And so that's what he was doing with Abraham and the nation of Israel. And that's why there were so many rules and laws for them because he had to set them apart, okay? It's not because God is a God of rules. He's not. But it was because they were in the midst of such craziness, he had to set them apart so that they were different than everybody else. So sorry. Last service in the middle of a really intense prayer. I just lost my voice. I'm trying to avoid that. All righty, here we go. And so after about so many years um, and an unfortunate series of events, the children of Israel were, were enslaved by the Egyptians. Um, and again, if you can pull from any of your Bible backgrounds, if you have them, all right, this is the plagues, the Ten Commandments, that old school Moses video that plays every year. I can't remember. Is it around Easter or something? I don't know. But anyways, um, and with whatever that famous guy's name is, but you've seen it, I'm sure. Your parents have seen it or you've been you know, exposed to it. But anyway, so they're in slavery for 400 years. And that's where these verses pick up. Exodus 2, 23 through 24, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so the Israelites were feeling exposed, enslaved, trapped, And I wonder how many of you are feeling that way due to your stigmas, your shame, your exposure, whatever you're walking through. You feel trapped to that. You feel trapped to your past. You feel enslaved to your future. You feel enslaved by your mental illness. You feel trapped by your disease. You're fearful because of the failures and mistakes you've made or other people have done to you. And you just feel stuck. And in the midst of this, you're groaning and you're crying out and you don't feel like God's answering you. And you start to wonder, just like the serpent started saying to Eve, like, did God really say, does God really care? Is God really for me? Does he really see me? And you start to ask these questions. 
And I love these verses. In Exodus 2.25, it says, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Those are some of my favorite words in all of Scripture. The fact that God saw and God knew. As I've walked through this difficult time of losing my brother and then of us um, navigating, and we've talked about it some from stage, but stuff with Bryant's mom. There's been times where I've just broken down with Bryant and been like, do people see? Do they know? Like, I know I'm trying to put on a brave face and move forward and stuff, but do they see? And in my honest moments, it's just sometimes you just want to be seen, Right. You want people to see like you're struggling, you're hurting. You want people to see like it's a struggle. Um, some days I force myself. And when you don't feel like people are seeing or know, it's very lonely and you start to get discouraged. And I can only imagine the children of Israel after 400 years of God doing really nothing, them wondering like, okay, what was the point of all this in the beginning, you know? What was the point of us trying to stay faithful through this? What was the point of us trying to follow and to obey and to do the right thing? And I can promise you this today, that God does see you. God does know you. God does not see the stigma. He sees through it. And moms, I have to tell you this. Some of you, we, we know this more than anyone. No one's more stigmatized than mothers. Am I right? I wrote some things down. You're stigmatized if you breastfeed. You're stigmatized if you don't breastfeed, all right? I'm not a breastfeeder. I do it for about three to six weeks, then I call it quits. Um, and I feel the stigma of that sometimes. You're, you are stigmatized if you work or if you don't work, which like really, is that really not working? But well, that's another, anyways. Um, you're stigmatized if you lose the baby weight, okay? Um, you're stigmatized, I know with some of my beginning kids when it was real easy to get the weight off, I was talked to numerous times about it with coming off too fast. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Do you live with me? Do you know? Like, what in the heavens? Um, or if you don't lose it, you're stigmatized. You're stigmatized if you're infertile and you have to go the in vitro route. You're stigmatized if you miscarry. You're stigmatized if you have one kid or if you have four or five kids. You're stigmatized if you homeschool, if you public school, and the new favorite thing now is charter school, okay? So you're stigmatized. It doesn't matter what you do as a woman, especially if you're a mother, you're stigmatized. The world is watching. Social media has made it worse. Um, now we've gone to all the all-natural products, and you have to spend a million dollars at, you know, Fresh Market and get all this stuff that doesn't have any chemicals in it. I'm sorry, I will never leave bleach, all right? Bleach is the reason why we do not throw up on a regular basis, so God bless bleach and everything bleach has to offer, Amen. But we're stigmatized. And there was one woman in scripture, and, and um, I love this passage of scripture. Her name was Hagar. And she felt the stigmatism in a way I don't know that any of us will ever feel. And so I'm jumping again. I'm jumping back to Genesis 16. Um, but let me give you some background about Hagar. Abraham, our star performer today, um, again, he was promised to have descendants that numbered the stars in the sky and the sand. And um, Abraham's all excited about it. He's going along with it. He thinks it's awesome. You know, men get all excited about things, right? They don't think about everything in between. None of the details are just like, let's do it. Ooh. You know, I don't know. That's how I, anyways. And Sarah's on the other side going, all right, we have two problems here, old man. First of all, I just mentioned it. You are old as dirt, okay? In fact, I think in scripture, um, someone can fact check me because they normally do, but it says like, I, they, it describes how old he was. I wish I would have looked it up, like close to death or something. I can't remember, but it describes how old Abraham is. And then the second problem is, you guys remember, Sarah's barren, right? So God's making a promise, which God usually does, and I love this about God. He's, um, 
I was going to say what I thought he was, but I probably can't attribute. B.A., we'll just leave it there. Because he makes promises when nothing looks like it can go that direction, right? And so Sarah's all concerned. So she lets it play out for a little while. And then after a good bit of time, Sarah does what any good woman does. And she's like, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. All right, this is what women do. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I see you, God. I hear you, God. I think you want me to do something about this. You didn't tell me, but I think so. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so she goes to Abraham, and she's like, listen, dude, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to give you Hagar, maidservant. You're going to sleep with her, have a baby, and that's how we'll get this whole thing started. And Abraham, like any good man would do, is like, okay, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I love you. You know I do. But you know that's true, right? Someone's clapping, and I feel that clap. All right. <clears throat> and so Hagar conceives. And so here's where Scripture picks up, Genesis 16, verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And I want to pause here for just a second because I think sometimes we skip over that really flippantly and we're like, um, Hagar, what's wrong with you? Why are you despising your mistress? Well, I'll tell you why. She's an indentured servant. She's forced to have sex with an old man, okay? On top of that, she conceives... And she's ultimately going to have to give this child up. You realize that, right? Like, this is not going to be hers and Abraham's child. This is going to be Sarah and Abraham's child, okay? Um, and then along with that, Sarah gets angry. And this is what I think is hilarious because if this is not shows you how real Scripture is, I don't know what does. She gets mad at Abraham like it's his fault, okay? All right, men, you can respond. How often have you had to? It's the wise plan, her vision, you go along, then you get in trouble for going along, okay? All right, I see the nods. They're not going to clap, but I see them all smiling. There it is, one clap. All right. We're having a good time here, North. I don't know if y'all are, but that's all right. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. <laughs> okay. I put my servant in your arms. There's Isaiah. Thank you, Isaiah. She says, she says, I put my servant in your arms and you did what I wanted you to do and now it's your problem, all right? Basically what she's saying. Now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham says, your servant's in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so Hagar fled from her. And I want you to try to, if you can, as best you can, try to imagine the pain Hagar must be going through right now, okay? She's alone. She's been drug away from her family. Um, she's a slave. Now she's pregnant with an old man's child that she's going to have to give up. She's in a bad place. And so she runs. And I couldn't help but think about week one of Shattered when Bryant talked about Elijah. And Elijah gets into that difficult situation and he runs. And no one goes after them except, you keep reading, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. And I want to tell you this. I don't know if you are familiar with this, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the personification of Jesus Christ, okay? So anytime you see angel of the Lord, that's Jesus. And so basically, Jesus found Hagar near a spring in the desert. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Why are you running? Why are you hiding? I'm running away from my mistress Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall call him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your misery. Then Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. 
And some of you need to hear this today. I love this. It's one of my favorite, again, one of my favorite portions of scripture. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. And I wonder how many of you today need to see the one who sees you. I wrote this down. You can face your stigma when you come face to face with Jesus Christ. And some of you are running so hard and so fast and some of you are hiding and some of you are just giving up. You're just wallowing in the stigma and the exposure and the shame and the frustration and the disappointments, whatever they may be. You're just a puddle of despair. And God, you, don't, you can't even look up to see that God is chasing after you to say, I see you. Would you just see me? Would you just see me? Jesus sees you when no one else does. Some of you feel forgotten. And Jesus sees you when everyone does. Because some of you feel like too many people know. Too many people see. I can't move forward. He sees through the disease. He sees through the failure. He sees through the mental illness. He sees through all of it. But you're too wrapped up in your stigma to see any of it. And here's my concern for you. Is you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what Jesus has for you. You're going to miss that dream you've had. You're going to miss what Jesus wants to do in your kids' lives. You're going to miss those plans. Some, God's put something on your heart that you're ignoring because you don't think you can do it. You're going to miss it. And I'm just wondering, at what point is enough enough? Because some of you, and I can tell you this, this stuff's going to get passed right on to your kids. Because you're refusing to deal with it. And I think that's what scares me the most. Some of you know that because you've got all the crap your parents didn't deal with right down on you. And now you're having to wallow your way out of it. And all of that's going to get shoveled right down to your kids. So if you want your kids to have a future, if you want your kids to have their dreams, you need to start dealing with your stuff now. So here's the good news. Back to Genesis 3. Once God has a little chit-chat with Adam and Eve, he brings the serpent along, all right? And you can go back and fact-check me if you want. It's Genesis 3. It's going to be around verse 15. But God brings the serpent around, and this is the first time in Scripture where he's going to say, here's what my plan is. He kind of messed stuff up. That's all right. But here's my plan. At some point, that serpent, his head's going to get smashed. And that shame and that stigma and that exposure and that brokenness, that's going to be done away with. And I'm going to nail it to the cross of my son, and I'm going to save your lives because that's how much I love you. And in order to symbolize that, what did God do? He killed two perfectly innocent animals, and he covered Adam and Eve. And this was symbolic. What he was saying was this. Nothing in this life is going to be perfect anymore. It's gone. That's done. That's over. But you can be covered in the perfection of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to tell you. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, here's what I can promise you. 
God doesn't look down and see your stigma or your shame or your exposure anymore. He doesn't see that brokenness. He doesn't see what was done to you or what you did. When he looks at you, when you've accepted him as, his personal savior, as your personal savior, he sees Jesus Christ. That's what he sees. And that's what some of you need to open your eyes and start to see today. You need to be freed from that stigma. So we're wrapping it up here. And we're going to go into a point of decision. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to ask you to do some awkward things. North Campus, you better be ready because I'm going to ask you to do it too. Because some of you have been carrying this for so long. And today, you need to, the devil. And you need to tell him enough. And that you're not going to stay trapped anymore to what he thinks and is telling you you should be trapped to. So would you bow your heads? The first thing I want to talk to you guys about is this. Some of you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never gotten to that point where you say, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again, and he's the only way to heaven. And I'm going to ask you this. Why wouldn't you do that? (laughs) Some of you are so down and out and far and hurting and struggling, and you don't know which end is up, and you're trying to do this on your own. And And I just wonder, like, why? And how long, how long are you gonna fight this? And so I wanna tell you this, I worked over in the children's ministry for a while before Justin Elam came and made everything better, (laughs) kicked me out of there. But I wanna tell you this, we used to give the gospel to the kids week in and week out. And so I wanna preach the gospel to you like I would to them because it's faith like a child and some of you you need to hear this. We've all sinned, right? We've all done bad things. You can accept that, you know that. Because of our bad things, we'd have to go to hell. That's why God created hell, not because he hates people. He hates sin, has to be dealt with. But he loved us so much, he sent his son. I wonder how many of you would sacrifice your son or your daughter for someone. I don't think any of you would. That's how much he loved you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again. It's the only way to heaven. And today, all you have to do is just say this in your heart. It's not the words that save you. It's what's going on in your heart, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. It's that simple. I believe you rose again. I'm asking you to save me. That's all it is. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again, and I'm asking you to save me. And if that's you today, and you're like, this is my first time, and I want to say yes to Jesus and accept him as my Savior at North and South. I know it's hard for you, North, because it's a simulcast. You need to respond anyways. Would you just raise your hand? I'm the only one looking. Say, that was me today. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior for the first time. Amen. Awesome. Now, others of you, you can put your hands down. Others of you today, you need to say enough is enough. I'm not going to allow my past or my future or my present to define me anymore. I'm not going to live under that stigma anymore. I'm going to take back my life. Listen, y'all, I understand Sigma probably more than anyone. With my mental illness and the fact that my brother took his life January 4th, you don't think that causes people to kind of be like, no. <laughs> it's a tough go for me sometimes. But I have chosen that I'm going to take this that I have been given, and I'm going to use it for the honor and glory of Jesus. I'm going to use it to free people, and I'm going to use it to share it so people know they're not alone. And I made that choice about 10 years ago, and I wonder if there's some of you that need to make that choice with whatever it is, your past, 
the things that were done to you. You have a story. The devil's trying to silence you. And today, if you are going to say, that's enough, I'm no longer going to be silenced. I'm no longer going to live under this shame. Would you stand right now, both north and south? If you say, I am done with the stigma, I am done with the shame, I am done with exposure, that's it. I know it's a tough stand because people are going to wonder what you're standing for, but you say you don't care. That's it, South Campus. North Campus, I don't know if you're standing, but if this is you right now and you feel that tug on your heart that Jesus is saying, you get up off your booty and you stand because I've given you a story and I want you to use it, you get on your feet right now. Now, some of you are the reason why some of us live stigmatized. And I don't want to get angry. I promise, Brian, I wouldn't. I'm going to keep the hormones under control here. (laughs) But some of you need to do some research. You need to figure out about mental illness. You need to figure out about infertility in vitro. You need to figure out about um, certain diseases. You need to do some research. You need to have some conversations. You don't know enough people with the stuff that aren't like you, that you make quick judgments. And you're the reason why some of us are living this way under this stigma. And if that's you, and this is brave, if that's you and you say, I I want to let go of that, I'm going to humble myself and say, Jesus, I'm going to start coming alongside of people and loving on them and standing with them. Would you stand at both, both North and South Campus? Amen. Amen. It's the bravest thing you're ever going to do. Amen. And then some of you have been praying. You've been praying for your loved ones. You've been fighting for loved ones. I know this too, I fought for my brother as much as I could. And some of you need to say, you need to look up for a second because you need to see that your friends and your family are standing and these are people you've been praying for for a long time. And if that's you, I want you to go stand next to that person, put your arms around them as we pray together. And I want you to tell them you are with them and you are for them. You're gonna walk this journey with them. You're proud of them. That's it. I'm gonna pray over us and the worship team is gonna come out as we're praying and at both campuses, we're gonna sing the song Ever Be. I have that tattooed on my arm right here. And as we sing it, I want you to listen to the words because they're powerful. But I made a declaration to Jesus when I started walking through this stuff that his praise would ever be on my lips because of what he's done for me and how he chose me and how he is choosing to use me. And some of you need to sing that as a declaration today with hands raised that his praise will ever be on your lips. Would you guys all stand with us as we close North Campus too? Everybody stand. Jesus, we love you. I wanna thank you for the lives that you are freeing up today. I wanna thank you for those people who are standing up to say, number one, I accepted you as my personal savior and my eternity is forever changed. I wanna thank you for those people who are, gonna, who are saying today, enough is enough and I'm gonna seek and get the help that I need because I have a story that you've given me that you wanna use. For those who have been brave enough to say, I haven't done enough research, I haven't studied, I'm part of the problem and who stood. And for those family members who are fighting for and loving on those who are struggling. Jesus, I wanna thank you for every single person today who made a commitment at both campuses and both services. God, as we sing this last song, I pray that these words would penetrate our hearts, that we would accept the truth of what you've done for us, the fact that you died on the cross for our sins, the fact that you have covered us in your perfection and so that when you look at us, you see Jesus Christ and not our mistakes and mess ups and stigmas and shame and exposure. 
Thank you for everything you've done. Your praise will ever be on our lips. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.